Well, amen, and thank you to the music team. Again, if I ever needed proof that we are meant to be together, it is only, I I don't know what the music sounds like on your tablet or television, your computer screen, but I'm going to tell you it's a little taste of heaven here. Again, I'm all worked up. I'm back in the back, jumping around, just praising God, and I long for us to be together. I long for us to not have any more encumbrances or things that would distract us or keep us from praising God together. But in the meantime, we do this and we do it joyfully. It may be not what we choose, but we are trusting God. And as been the common refrain and theme of today, we are so thankful for the technology that allows us to not only live stream to our home church of Calvary Baptist, but to include churches that are seeking to be planted and gathering in places like downtown in Kilbride and as well up in Goose Bay, Labrador. And so I do want to also join the chorus of welcomes to one and all. I pray that for those of us that make up Calvary Baptist, our desire is to be a church, a church that loves our city, church that loves our province, a church that loves God and loves people and wants to serve others, a church that cares. We are also a church that's not a silo. We know that other churches are gathering in this city, across this island, across this country, around the world. People have already gathered. People are only getting up now and will gather. And so we do this not only as a local church, but we do this as the Catholic church, meaning the church of the world. And we do so, like everybody else, in a COVID world. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and go with me this morning to John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 5, or really the last half of verse 4, down to verse 15. Last week I asked, what was life with Jesus going to be like in 2022? This week, and perhaps next week, because i got to be honest, like the old Smokey and the Bandit movie theme song, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm not sure how, how far I'm going to get today, but I plan to give this passage its due diligence. So I'm asking you to stick with me, because today we're going to answer the question, and perhaps next week, what is life like with the Holy Spirit? And even going into that, I would say that this is one of the subject matters where we have a lot of confusion, a lot of debate, a lot of division. There's a reason why, as Baptists, there's a lot of jokes out there about Baptists being all about the head and very little about the heart. I think my mom and dad are watching, and I remember a guy that went to my father's church, and he loved to have me come and tell me all kinds of jokes about Baptists and uh, the fact that we're not full of life. In turn, we tend to, as Baptists, make fun of the more charismatic churches. And so we tend to uh, separate or, or either even in good fun belittle or make fun of those that seem to put an overemphasis on the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to say that I think we're all wrong. I think we have postulated two positions, an underemphasis of the Holy Spirit or an overemphasis or a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit, and Satan's the one laughing. And yet this passage actually tells us what life with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be like. 
And one of the reasons I think we get off of it is because we think in terms of either our likes or our experiences, and we don't actually pay attention to what God's Word actually says. And if there was ever a sermon, or perhaps two, that I'm ever going to preach, where I want to make it abundantly clear that I'm not just a salesman, I am for sure a client. It is this subject matter of life with the Holy Spirit. I have lived a lot of my life afraid and confused about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I am so thankful that it was indeed God's Word and His Spirit that have so patiently, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come His grace has brought me safe thus far, the grace of God's word, the grace of God's spirit, and grace is going to lead me home. And I pray that this sermon today, and perhaps the next week as well, will be a turning point in your life, because I submit to you that John chapter 16, the the last half of verse 4 into verse 15, is the hinge of the gospel of John. I actually believe that with all my heart. But to set this up, let me ask you some questions here this morning. The obvious question that maybe is on all of our minds, I've been up since pretty early this morning, working on this sermon, praying, reading through Proverbs chapter 9, interacting a little bit on social media and all the things that we do. And I've already encountered all kinds of tweets and headlines and things that grab the world's attention. And there is one thing we can't get away from. We live in a crazy world. We live in crazy times, unknowns, and at all, for many of us, if not all of us, that are joined together on this live stream, life's not going exactly or at all like we planned it. So let me ask you, in a moment of sobriety, in reflection, When you and I navigate life and we deal with what we are dealing with here in the early days of 2021, sorry, 22, how do we deal with, how do we process, and how do we act out when we face adversity? How do you and I deal with and react to stress when we're anxious? How does your mind work? when you're scared or you're faced with bad news. Now add to this, what happens when you are sure you are right? When you're convinced that you are correct in your way of thinking or you're totally connected to a thought process or a vision or purpose in life. You're connected to someone or something and then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. All of a sudden change comes pouring on you. In other words, how do you and I deal with change or loss or the unexpected? How objective are we? How clear-headed are we? It's a sobering thing to be honest about, isn't it? Something we don't often think about. How willing and how able are we to deal with change or setback or loss, especially if someone points out that what we think, 
What we think we like, what we think we love, what we think we need is actually not what's best for us. And that what we need to go through or what we need to actually lose or what needs to change in our life or even traumas we've done are actually so the better or a better version of us can now be exposed or matured or developed. And, and don't get me wrong, this is not a, just a spiritual thing. There's world cliches for this, no pain, no gain, right? The idea that we've got to push ourselves is everywhere, and yet so often in Christianity, especially over the last two years, I've seen myself, our church, our network of churches, the Church of Newfoundland, Canada, and around the world struggle with opposition, setback, real unknowns, being marginalized, even being threatened or feeling threatened. And this is where we find ourselves. We are not any different from the 11 men that over 2,000 years ago, walking out of an upper room, faced with all the same realities that you and I are struggling with today. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus, after washing their feet, after instituting the celebration of the Lord's table, he actually tells the world, or the disciples, how the world will react to them. That's what we looked at last week. And this comes on the heels of Jesus having told his disciples that he's leaving them, that he would be betrayed, and they didn't understand that Judas was the one that was going to do that, and then tells Peter and the rest of them, you're too weak to hold up to what's coming. And strangely enough, they don't like that message. And neither would we. If you think about all through the rest of chapter 14 into chapter 15, Peter, Philip, and even Judas, who was the twin, Didymus, has asked Jesus about where he's going. They've wanted to know who the Father is, like show us the Father. They've even asked how Jesus plans to show himself to them, but not the world. In other words, they're confused. They are living in confusing times. Um, Does that sound familiar? But now I want you to step back. And I want us to think about who's writing these words. Don't forget what and why John the Apostle, who was in this audience, is writing this book that we've called The Gospel According to John. See, one of the many reasons I love my Bible (laughs) is that John, who is used by God to give us this gospel, was himself one of those confused, scared, uh, doubting, cynical, trying to look tough while he was feeling weak, In that crowd, that that 11, that little small group Bible study they were having, he was doubting, he was overwhelmed, he was trying to make sense of life, he struggled with trusting and understanding Jesus, he wanted to believe, he wanted to do what was right, but yet now Jesus is telling him he needs to experience all of what he writes here in these chapters and verses. And remember, it's this same John who, when he carves out this gospel, chooses these seven signs and these seven I am statements of God. And it's John who was moved by this, and are you ready? By the Holy Spirit, to write all these things, including these very chapters. It's actually, I think, 
better looked at as here is John writing his testimony and who, who he wants you and I, where he wants you and I to arrive, just like he did. I have read these two verses so many times. I know for any one of you that call Calvary home, you might even know them from memory. Because John doesn't tell us why he writes his gospel to the very end. And this is what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in John chapter 20, verse 30, in the presence of the disciples. And so John is saying, I was witness of them. And I didn't write all of them in this book. I just wrote, wrote these were written and for a reason. So that you may believe these two principles. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Principle one. So Jesus is God. And principle two, that by believing you and I, we might have life in his name. And yet, to make that argument, he records this passage of John chapter 16, verses 4 to 15, where basically we're going to learn, for that to be possible, Jesus had to go, suffer, die, rise from the dead, leave, and then send his spirit. And herein lies the issue for us all, even in 2022. I want you to see, wherever you are, whoever you are, however you define yourself, wherever you are on your Christian journey, we struggle to know about life. Debbie and I were at Costco yesterday and we ran into childhood friends and one of the ladies is a girl that we graduated with, and we hadn't seen each other, and we were shocked that we hadn't seen each other in probably se almost seven years. And we started talking about the most natural thing that couples and people that get to see each other for a long time talk about, life. The ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. And as we saw last week, what is life with Jesus going to be like? Well, we're going to face a world that either ignores us, rejects us, pushes against us, persecutes us. But all along, Jesus says, I'm still going to use you. And actually, the Apostle John is testifying to you and I and to the whole world. Look, I know how you feel. I've been there. David talked about it in the uh, liturgy. He mentioned it in his opening. He talked about it in his prayer when he asked, you know, I don't know how you're feeling, if you're tired. I ran into another pastor friend yesterday, and he asked me how I was doing, and I said to him, yeah, you know what, dude, I am tired of all this. And he was like, yeah, yeah man, I, me too. I am tired. And you know what? I actually think our government officials are tired. I think teachers are tired. Students, parents are tired. We're all tired. And John is saying, look, I've been there. I know how you feel. I, my world was upside down. I struggled with my family and marriage, with providing for my family. I too dealt with fear and a culture I didn't understand and was often frustrated with or even afraid of. And I didn't know how it was all going to end. Oh, and you need to realize, I loved God. And I, I gave up my career to go follow Jesus, so I trusted him. But you know what? From the moment I left to trust him, I saw some amazing things. But every day, life was hard. And to be honest, if I'm being truthful, I think I was more confused. It's like John is saying, I wanted Jesus to say this or do that. I had expectations. And yet every time it seemed, he did or said things that I wouldn't do or I wouldn't want. <laughs> I got to tell you, when I was studying this this week, I was like, oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Because I can identify with this stuff. 
And yet then, John writes what Jesus says in our passage today. And I want you to listen to me now. I've said this, I'm going to say it again. This is the hinge of the gospel of John. What Jesus says here is where everything changes. Because life with Christ, for John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by leaving, you may have life in his name. Everything changes here. We've got to know what life with the Holy Spirit is and how that life will change our lives. Are you ready for this? Not just on January the 9th of 2022, but forever. It's going to change us forever. You see, Jesus is going to give the disciples, and Jesus today is going to give you and I, are you ready for this? Hope, mission, and commission. He's going to say, here is what I want you to be encouraged by. Here's what the plan is, and guess what? You're part of my plan. I love this because it's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, is going to convict the world, and yet, as we will see... It's this same Spirit of God that will empower the disciples and give them courage that what Jesus starts, he's going to finish. I believe it was this passage, this, this discussion that maybe Paul had when he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that I can be confident of this. My world is upside down. I'm in prison. People are criticizing me. My body is fighting against me. But I know this, what God starts, he finishes. That's why Jesus said what he told those same disciples. The gates of hell won't prevail against my church. It's why this passage sets up Christ after his resurrection on that mountainside with those same disciples and maybe 500 more when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's why he tells them in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses, what? After the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will receive power. It's why Revelation chapter 4 and 5 promises that until the plan is done, when we are all gathered, there will be men and women, young and old, from every tribe and nation and people and kindred. And so what Romans or Revelation 4 and 5 promises starts right here. So, are you intrigued? And now you realize... Why, for the life of me, I don't think I can preach this in one sermon. Because this is the passage. Oh, men and women, let me tell you, this is John chapter 16, 4 to 15, is the passage about the Holy Spirit. And we are all too often fascinated or confused when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit. Many of us think about him, but few of us know how to relate to him. But I promise you... This passage is where we need to come. And I don't think we need to come here just today. I think we need to come here as Christians often. So would you allow me to read it with you? Would you get your Bibles out and follow along? Get a journal. And if you were ever going to interact with a passage of Scripture, if you want to know how to make it through life with Christ, you need to know what life with the Holy Spirit is going to be like. And so allow me to read this and see if I've been telling you the truth. See if I've been honest with you this morning. This is the Word of God, John chapter 16, the last half of verse 4, where Jesus says to these disciples and to you and I, 
But I have said these things to you. That includes everything from chapter 13 all the way to now. He says, but I have said these things, and in particular what I have just said in verses 18 to 4, I have just said these things that when their hour comes, you may remember what I have told you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him, that's to God who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, if you write in your Bible, I would tell you to underline or highlight this or write it down so you can think about this more deeply. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. Concerning sin in verse 9, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. (laughs) And then he addresses them. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And why? Because He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14 is a key statement. He, God the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, God the Son. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that God the Son lays things all, all down before the feet of God the Father. And this is why, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then he sums it up. All, not some or most, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, God the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, if you were Following along there, you can really see that this passage actually breaks into three parts. But the first part, verses 4b to verse 8 or verse 7, is often missed so that the next two parts are often misunderstood. So here's my one big idea, (coughs) excuse me, that maybe is all I'm going to get to today. We need to understand in January the 9th of 2022, as a church, as a part of the church, as Christians, the advantage of life with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is not someone we should be confused about. The Holy Spirit is not someone we should be afraid of. We should not demean Him nor overemphasize Him We should pray passionately for the Holy Spirit 
his presence and his power and his guidance and direction to be a part of our lives because it's to our advantage to have and do life with the Holy Spirit. Because we've got to step back and see not only what Jesus is saying here, but why is he saying this? Why is Jesus saying these things at this time to these disciples? Well, believe it or not, I actually think part of it is actually a rebuke. It's a correction. And it offers us a great challenge. But that's going to set us up for the great encouragement. Jesus is challenging them. Look again at our passage at the end of verse 4. He says, I did not say things to you, these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? That is not positive. He is challenging them. He is challenging them, <coughs> excuse me, by saying, where are you going? Now you might say, oh, wait a second, Steve. Didn't Philip ask this? And Thomas and these other guys back, back, wait, 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 wait. He's, Jesus is gently rebuking the disciples. Why? The other questions were actually self-serving and self-centered. They were really self-absorbed. They've just heard, he's going, he's going to be betrayed, we're too weak. And they're like, well, where are you going? And how can we know? And you know what? Jesus, uh, if you would just show us God, we'd believe you. And, and Jesus, uh, we don't understand. How are you going to go? And you're telling us we're going to know, but the world isn't going to know. Do you realize what kinds of questions those are? Those are challenging questions. Those are self-serving did you see how Jesus notes that no one is asking him where he is going? And it's not a, con a contradiction. This is, Jesus is actually grieved that the 11 aren't showing a greater interest as into the why and what. They're asking where, but they're not asking, well, why are you going? And what will that do? And this causes the disciples grief because Tragically, they're largely preoccupied with their own fate. What's going to happen to us? What are you going to do with the nation? How about? How come? And this is why I think John relates to us and why you and I can relate to this. This caused them to miss the positive implications that Jesus is saying to them. He's letting them know, I'm going to leave and that will actually continue the mission. And so that's why I asked you at the very beginning... How do you and I react when we face adversity or situations we don't like or understand? I don't like what we're going through right now. And I often don't understand it. Why COVID? Why now? Why is there all this tension and division in our culture amongst us as people? Why is it that now of all times, I can't trust the media I don't know where to go. I don't know where to look. And yet, I promise you, this can all make sense. But when you and I are facing these types of challenges and we're tired and we're frustrated and we're scared, do you and I get self-focused? Do all of a sudden we go, you know what? I, I got to make sure I take care of my world. So I'm going to take care of my life or my marriage or my family. You know what? I'm, I'm into this Jesus thing. I'm in, but you know what? All bets are off. If it comes down to it, I got to take care of my circle. Do we demand answers of Jesus, but the actual questions are really ours? 
Hey, Jesus, how come? Where are you? How often do we ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? Versus, God, what am I to learn from this and how can I trust you? Now, be honest. (laughs) This makes me laugh. Laugh at myself and laugh at our church culture. One of the favorite songs of our church is Blessed Be Your Name. Right? Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it could be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. You see, this is what I've noticed. We never like that song in the midst of the struggle, but we always go to it after we've been through the struggle. And yet, this is what Jesus is trying to help us understand. The advantage is not the perspective we get afterwards. The advantage is when you know where to go in the midst of the struggle. And that's why Jesus continues. He says what he does in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, are you ready for this? And when he comes, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Jesus is about to go suffer and die. And this is why he does what he does. He basically says, listen, I've got to go suffer and die. And through that, the departure of Christ, something's going to happen. And they're sorrowful. They had prepared a great gift. He had prepared this gift for them, but all they could think about was only their loss. All they heard was, I'm leaving. They were not hearing, but I'm going to give. How often do we do this? When you go to the doctor, some of you out there have heard and experienced this. When you go to the doctor after you have found a lump on your breast or a spot on your skin or you've been feeling off and you've had that blood work done, And you go to the doctor and you sit down and you hear those fateful words. I have to tell you that you have cancer. And because of that, then the doctor starts to lay out, here's what we're going to have to do to address this. We're going to have to do surgery and we're going to have to remove this tumor. We're going to have to attack this and we're going to do, and we get totally lost in, you have and you're going to lose And yet, the whole reason the doctor is telling you that is because he's going to get to a point where he's going to say, because then you will live. we got to walk through this, right? And so, they are hearing Jesus saying, I'm leaving, and they're not hearing him saying, but I'm going to give. They could think only about their loss. They're despondent. Jesus, who knew their sorrow, though, begins to teach them once more about the Holy Spirit. These verses lead into the longest discussion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in all of John's gospel, and I would say in all the scriptures. It's a discussion in which there's this twofold ministry, if you got it, in verses 8, 9, and 10, and 11, and then 12, 13, 14, and 15, where basically... First, there's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to the world, and second, there's a ministry of of the Holy Spirit to the apostles, the disciples, and to you and I, the church. But the whole point of these verses, don't miss it. The whole point of this passage is this. Jesus says, I'm going to go. I'm going to suffer. 
I'm going to die. Your weaknesses will be exposed. The world will oppress and persecute. Satan will look like he is one. And actually, that's to your advantage. (laughs) Even when I say it, it makes me laugh. Because contrary to what the announcement of Jesus' departure may signal to you and I or to disciples, his work on earth has not come to an end. It will be continued in a far greater way by the Holy Spirit. Jesus will suffer and die. He will be buried. And the disciples will think we're all alone. Do you you see what I'm trying to get you to understand? Do you see how you can relate to this? I have been here. I have felt these feelings. They're convinced this this is the end. In fact, if you read it later, uh, Peter says, well, listen, why don't we just go with them and die? That's what Peter says. But Jesus says, if I can use 2022 vernacular, he goes, no, boys. This is not how this is going to do. Rather, he holds up God's purposes and he says, my crucifixion will actually fulfill the plan and launch the beginning of my restoration. The spirit cannot come unless Jesus has first been exalted. And that's what you read about in Acts chapter 2. Because the work of the atonement, Jesus suffering for our sins, paying our penalty must be accomplished if Jesus is going to be glorified. And if the Holy Spirit represents the presence of Jesus, then by definition, Jesus has to go before the Spirit can be given. So only through the eternal presence of the Holy Spirit, are you ready for this? Will the disciples truly actually understand Jesus? So Jesus is right. He's telling the truth. It is advantageous for them, but this is the plan and it's a necessary plan If they're going to experience the Holy Spirit, unless I go away, the helping presence will not come to you. See what John's doing? He's testifying. Here's what had to happen. First, Jesus' glorious departure via the cross, including his resurrection and his exaltation. And then there's the sending of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is going to explain to these men what it looks like to have Jesus leave So they could actually experience him more. By Jesus leaving, they'd actually get to know God the Father more deeply. They would learn from Jesus more intimately. They'd be exposed to the Spirit of God. Now they'd had a framework for this in the Old Testament. But now Jesus is explaining that they will simply not see the Spirit work in clouds and pillars of fire, but God himself would take up residence within them. They would be indwelled and empowered by the Spirit of God. Even for these three years, whenever they were with Jesus, they felt safe. But then when he wasn't there, they didn't. Goodness gracious, guys, they were on the Sea of Galilee, and he was with them asleep in a boat, and they panicked. Carest thou not that we perish? And he says, oh, you of little faith. 
And now he says, no, I'm going to give myself to you in a way that every one of you, no matter where you are, no matter what kind of time of the day it is, you will have me. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds advantageous to me. Okay. Now, stop and think about that for just a minute, because now you'll understand why this passage is so full. How many times have you and I thought in our lifetime as Christians... I wish I could just speak to Jesus. How many times have you read the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and thought, man, I just wish I could have been there. I wish I could have heard him talk. I wish I could could have seen him or, or touched him the way the disciples did. I wish I could have seen just one of those miracles. How often do we secretly think, I I actually think I would have understood. I wouldn't have been as confused. As the disciples, I would have connected the dots as someone who's been to Israel. And I get asked about this all the time. Christians want to go to Israel and they always say the same thing. Well, if I could just go to Israel, then I'll know my Bible more and I'll know Jesus more. Yet this passage says, no, you can know God right here, right now, today. What are we struggling with? If you were to be honest, how close to Jesus are you and I? Really? I'm going to be as honest as I can be. I drove here. I dropped Debbie off because she was practicing with the music team. I went home and, and showered and got dressed up to look the part. I came back here and I had my cup of tea and my knapsack and, and my blazer and it was, I was warm because I'm always hot and I had it in the back seat of the truck. I'm on my way here to church to listen to the great hymns of the faith that these men and women played so well. I'm about to preach to you a sermon that I've been thinking about and preparing about all week long. Okay, And I get to the door, and I get out of my car, shut my front door, open the back door, get my knapsack and my coat and my mask, and I get my cup of tea, and I'm balancing it all, and I go to shut the door. And the door shuts, but doesn't shut all the way. And so I navigate and balance the cup of tea, and I grab it, and I give it another shove to shut the door, and it doesn't shut. And my reaction was, really? Really, this is how my Sunday starts? And I literally stood there for two seconds and went, Lord, this is how weak I am. If the car door doesn't shut for me after two tries, like why live? That's how weak I am. So don't think... I'm not preaching to you while I'm not preaching to me. And you know what? I don't think these disciples were any different. I mean, the guy writing this, John, was the guy who was too cowardly to go say to Jesus, I want to sit on your right hand. So his mama did it. This was the guy who wanted to pray down thunder and fire on some dudes that at least were trying while he was too cowardly to try himself. All right, this is what these guys are dealing with. 
If we think that we would have better, it would be better for us to have Jesus physically with us now, or that the disciples had an advantage over us today, then you and I are ignoring this enormous blessing that comes from his exaltation in heaven. You see, the choice is not between Christ present and Christ absent. It's between Christ present in body or Christ present in his Holy Spirit. And the latter is far better. Jesus said, explaining that when the Spirit comes, he would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he would teach them all that he had ever said and they would understand it and he would empower them and he would also glorify himself and they would then be commissioned on a mission that would change their lives. This brings Romans 8.28 into focus. This brings Philippians chapter 4. Many of you have it on mugs and, and plaques in your homes, right? Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as long as my back door shuts when I shut it. But we don't read the verses before that. When Paul says, I've learned how to do, have and not have. I've learned how to suffer and do well. I've learned how to be loved and hated. I've learned, I've learned. I've le-. How did he learn that? Through the Holy Spirit. You won't believe that struggles in your marriage are for your advantage. I, I had to laugh. I got to find this. I, I, I had this here somewhere. Um, let me see if I've got it on, on my phone. Mez McConnell, and you guys know I love Mez. He's a dear brother, runs a ministry over in Scotland. He wrote this. He said, far too many of us believe the lie that God only does good stuff in us when he does good stuff for us. And herein lies the problem. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go. And, and they were like, what, what? but we don't like that plan. Now, as you can see, I'm already out of time. So next week, by God's power, I'm going to come in and unpack the life with the Holy Spirit from the world's point of view and life with the Holy Spirit from the church's point of view. But what I want to ask you this morning, what I'm asking myself this morning, is do we trust God with the everyday moments of our life, the ordinary moments of our life? Is all things work together for our good, including your struggling marriage? or your infertility, or your cancer, or your wayward child, or your financial struggles. And it might not look like it makes sense, and you might be like, God, where are you? Jesus, why? But now, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the Word of God and prayer, you and I can speak to God at any moment. We can hear from God at any moment, and the Spirit of God will guide us and direct us. And did you notice the process in our passage? As I end this morning, notice what he says. I love this. He says, he will guide you into all truth. And then he says... Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare these things to you. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And he says, you won't understand it now, but you will. That's why I love that old hymn. Further along, we'll understand it. Further along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother and sister. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. 
But the lesson for you and I in the first part, you are never going to get the role of the Holy Spirit and what life is like with the Holy Spirit if you don't believe and trust right now that Jesus' plan of leaving and sending His Spirit to dwell in us as believers and to convict this world is actually the game plan. And you'll see it because Acts chapter 2 is key. Remember, after Jesus dies, rises from the dead, and ascends, and then everybody's looking up, and the, and the angels say, ye men of Galilee, what are you doing? And then they pray in that upper room for almost 40 days. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and then what happens? Peter preaches a sermon. And you know what the full extent of his sermon is? You killed Jesus. It's your fault, and you deserve to be judged. What happens? Acts tells us they were cut to the heart and said, what must we do? And then Peter says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 men and women come to Jesus Christ. I submit to you that had not Jesus gone and suffered and died and left and then sent them the Holy Spirit. Peter could have preached that sermon for a hundred days and nothing would have happened. But to his advantage, even though he went through the trauma of betraying Jesus three times and feeling like a failure and having to have breakfast at the beach with Jesus in which Jesus would say, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? It was through all of that, all that process, all that refining, all that hardship that Peter now learns, oh, wow, I can proclaim the gospel and people will believe. God will use me. In spite of my weakness and my failure. So, if you believe the advantage of this, then you will fight for your marriage. And you will pray for your kids. And you will forgive that brother or sister that you've been fighting with. And you will trust God with the traumas of your life and the struggles of your life. Because you now can move from why Jesus to who is Jesus. And we can then say with all of our hearts... Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Are you excited yet? <laughs> see, if you're out there and you say, Steve, I, I don't get it. You seem awfully excited. And I don't even know if I know Jesus. Then I can tell you right now, if your heart is asking that question, that's proof that this passage is real. This is what God does. So young person, don't push this aside. Moms and dads, don't act like God doesn't care or you've got some sort of, I hope he cares. No, no, no. This passage says it is to our advantage. So, yes, we will go through ups and downs, thick and thin. You know what was neat about meeting my friend, my childhood friend that I've known almost all my life? And that dear friend of mine has buried a father. She's buried a child. She's had all kinds of ups and downs. She's lived and served God in relative obscurity. She's known the joys of birth and marriage and grandchildren, has adopted children and watched them grow and serve the Lord. And she's living out exactly what the writer of Amazing Grace said. I've come through all kinds of stuff. And every one of these disciples didn't get it then, but they would get it 
So what are you going through? Has COVID got you down? Are you discouraged or depressed? Are you fighting for your faith? Are you angry or bitter? Are you demanding of God answers instead of going to God for His answers? Will you trust God's Holy Spirit in your everyday, ordinary life starting right now? And by God's grace, next week, we'll see how this all plays out. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the depths of the Word of God that take us far deeper than we could ever imagine. Lord, I'm almost embarrassed. I'm so excited, but I'm almost embarrassed because I have read John chapter 16 so many times, and yet in your patience and long-suffering and in your faithfulness, you've excited me and shown me things about your Spirit and how, God, you've been at work in my life. And everything that I've gone through and all of my weaknesses and all of my struggles, I don't have to be embarrassed by. I can bring them to you and you will teach me. So Lord, whoever's out there watching and listening, wondering, what do I do with all of this in my life? Lord, this passage, this sermon may very well be for them. If there's someone out there who's proud or too proud to admit Oh God, may the word of God convict them. If there's someone out there so ashamed that they feel like they can't, may the word of God lift them up. But the answer to the proud and to the ashamed is the same. God's Son, Jesus Christ, and a cross that is empty, a tomb that is empty, and a throne that is full. Because in you, we are stronger. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.